0: Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody. It is I, Derek Vaness, your host, back again with another power-packed episode of the Small Business Big Life Podcast. And today, I am very, very excited because my guest, Ellen McElhenney, has over 20 years of experience working with business owners and has seen an awful lot. She's been on the uh, CFO side of things as uh, someone who worked for a larger corporation, but also has worked with a ton of them as a fractional CFO. So she has got a ton of wisdom, and I just can't wait to unload some of that for you today. So Ellen, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you, Derek. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to dig into this. Just as we talked before the show, I can tell that you've got, uh, a lot of experience and a lot of things that people can really benefit from. So this is going to be fun. So before we jump into all of that, Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you, like I ask everybody, if you could pass on one piece of advice to the listeners, people who are out there building their businesses, trying to figure it out, get better every day, uh, what would you say to them that could be valuable?
1: well i I know that you know every business owner one day is prob- is going to exit their business one way or the or another. and my my nugget of wisdom is is to build value in your business as early as possible so that once you do come to the time that you need to transition out for whatever reason, the value is already there and you'll be able to. You know, either sell it a lot easier, or you'll be able to pass on uh, an asset that is really worth worth it. Even if you're not even thinking about uh, selling your business right now, it's a good idea to to start thinking about it.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this: When you say build value, if I'm a business owner and I'm mm-hmm. whether I'm in a product based or service based business. How how can I think about that tangibly? How do I know if I've really built value that's sellable value? Because I work mm-hmm. with a lot of physicians, and you know they what they do is valuable. It's a service, but when they leave, is there really any value? Like if the dentist isn't there or the you know the doctor isn't there, the value's gone. So how do I think about that more tangibly as a business owner so that I can really set myself up?
1: Well, it is really tricky for people like dentists and uh, who are the face of their business. Mm -hmm. And probably the best way to, for somebody in in service like that is to build their practice so that they are not the only thing in their practice. They are not the the face of their practice. Bring in some some people that you can um, transition to. Mm -hmm. So like if, if a a dentist has a practice and maybe they're in there by themselves, it's a good idea to bring on somebody who could later be either be a partner or somebody who could take over the the practice when you're gone. And another good thing about that is you can take some some time off without losing income. If you have somebody there helping you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Associate dentists or doctors. Can be a huge part. And I, I think it just comes down to in most cases, people are the business, right? That you're building. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's if you have people and you have systems, you probably have a real business. And if you don't have those, you may have a job at best. So
1: exactly. And that's that's the distinction between the two. And that's always the number one thing you, you have to think about is 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 my business saleable. And mm-hmm. in order to be saleable, it it has to be you have to be able to step outside of it and and look at it as a as a business and not a i mean that that's just a little story um i kind of went through that with my business uh, about ten months ago i always thought of myself as a solopreneur and suddenly an opportunity came along i hired somebody and now i'm scaling my business and and I'm thinking of it as a business as opposed to just me doing a job for other people, and it's kind of exciting.
0: <laughs> it is exciting. We're we're in the same place over here where we've hired a couple of people just recently. In fact, I'm onboarding someone later today, uh, right. and and it's great to have leverage with good people on your team. So, and I and I really think ultimately, like you said, that's that's the key to having something that's saleable. Is you don't need to be there all the time because then you can sort of sell an income stream to somebody, right? So that's right. So I'm really fascinated. You know, you you specialize in a couple things, right? Um, mm-hmm. The cash flow management side of the business, right? Cash flow analysis, and the uh, exiting a business. You kind of alluded to that a minute ago. I'm kind of fascinated. How did you get into the the exit side of the business? Because for so many people, that's such a big transaction, right? This is their mm-hmm. their life's work. I'm assuming you don't just decide, oh, I'm just going to help people with exits. How did you get into (laughs) that side of the business? Because you got to know a lot to even like enter that game, I think.
1: Well, I I had a tremendous opportunity when I was a CFO for a a mid-sized privately owned business. And we did a tremendous amount of growth during a period of about 10 years. And part of that growth came from buying small businesses, small Mm. dealerships. And I had the opportunity to do all the due diligence. Uh, I, I helped, you know, look for targets to to buy. And the one thing that struck me, and it it really was kind of sad, is how unprepared every business that we purchased, how unprepared the owner was to sell that business.
0: Mm. And
1: of course, the biz- they always thought the business was worth a lot more than. It really was. And Mm -hmm. so here here are these guys who have been working in their business for 30 years, thinking that they had, you know, they built up all of this, you know, built up this business and thinking that this was going to be their retirement. And it turns out in every case, they had to continue to work because they just didn't get enough from the business. And it really a couple of situations, it just it was very sad. And so I decided that I wanted to. Spend the last part of my career being on the other side of the table and helping these guys, and knowing what I know and what knowing what makes a, a business value valuable, um, I felt like that I could help <clears throat> help these uh, small business owners prepare for it so that they they don't have the disappointment at the end and and not be able to get from their business what they really need in order to retire.
0: Right. Okay, good. And my guess is the things that they need in order to really sell a business they can't just do in the last year, right? It's something no. that needs to be done. So if I'm out here listening, let's say I'm in the middle, middle of my career. I'm in my late forties, early fifties. I've maybe got another 10 years. Um, what are the one, two, or three things I should really be looking at to make my business saleable?
1: Well, the first thing that we talked about um, making sure that you have a um, a transition a, a team in place that can actually run the business. The first thing I ask people when they come to me to help them get their business ready to sell, I always say, "Can you leave for two weeks and go on vacation and not take your cell phone with you?" And if you can, then you're you're one step closer to being able to sell your business because that means you've got people in place who can run the business. And that's one thing that we all look for when we're actively searching to buy a business is is, you know, am I gonna have to come in there and you know put a management team in place? Is there is there a, a good management team in place? Are there good employees in place? And so it's that it's the the person personnel is the first thing we look at when, Mm -hmm. when we look at a a business, because obviously you don't want to have to deconstruct things and and because you're buying the business because it has some value. And and that's, that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I have a similar conversation when we talk to people about disability insurance, especially some of these people who are the key person in their business. Right. And I Mm -hmm. say, well, could you take a two week vacation? Like you said, most of them would be like, well, not really. And I'm like, and you're telling me that you don't need disability insurance, because if you get hurt, the business can run without you. Those are, (laughs) those are fundamentally at odds with each other. So it sounds like a similar litmus test. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Okay. Well, well, very good. So I know that uh, as I was looking through your website and, and reading up on, you know, our conversation and everything, I know you wrote a book a little bit about the difference between like someone who's built the business and understands it. And then someone else comes in and, and, maybe isn't such a great leader, isn't such a visionary. Tell me a little bit about what does it take to be a great leader and visionary or, or, or help make that transition possible. I haven't read the book itself, so I'm interested in the topic though.
1: Yeah. So I, 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 and the book came from it and I'm a big fan of Patrick Lencioni. He does business novels. So this is a business novel because I I find those a lot easier to read. But um, so what I did is, is this, Company that um, that had a great visionary leader who just automatically the second in in command in his business. When he decided to retire from the business, he you know turned it over to his second in command. I mean, a normal thing to do. The problem was, is this person that he turned it over to uh, was not a visionary. uh, Mm -hmm. Was a manager and very good at managing people, but could not see in the future and did not have a great vision for the company in the future. And so it turned out that the, the you know, the company kind of went down and then the management team all got together and figured out how to turn it around. That's why it's called the big turnaround. But there, there is, there is a, a certain, and I see this in a lot of people who own small businesses that there's a, there's a personality trait that I can't really put my finger on it but all all successful small business owners have and it's this you know this ambition I don't know what it is but uh, we all have to be a little crazy to be small business owners anyway yeah. but it it's it's this drive it's this vision and and that's that's the only way I can describe it is to they know what they want and you know they can see that and and anyone who can convey that to their employees is going to be successful because if everybody's, you know, rowing in the same direction, it's, it's, it's going to be successful. You just have to stay with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that because I've definitely worked for companies where things were all over the place and things weren't coordinated and there's a lot of spinning of wheels and not a lot of miles traveled. So yeah, super important stuff. Um, Okay. So tell me just a little bit about the uh, the cash flow side of the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um I know that accounting itself is sort of a system and everything, but the analysis of the numbers and understanding how to read those and what you're looking for, like that's a real skill set. So as you're looking at this, you know, and you're coming in as someone's fractional CFO, tell me a little bit about how that how that value is delivered to clients. Like what do they really get from that that most business owners aren't aware of?
1: Yeah, I think the difference, I always tell people that, you know, they say, well, what is a fractional CFO? <laughs> First of all, a fractional CFO is somebody who works for several different people. But a CFO is is different from, say, a controller or an accountant who, they look backward. They, you know, they put the financial statements together, but everything is looking backward
0: mm-hmm. to
1: what we've done up to this point. And as a CFO, I have to look forward. So a lot of what i do is budgeting helping you know come up with forecasts for the coming year or the coming quarter the cash flow is is a is a big one that a lot of people really don't know how to forecast because everybody thinks of the PL and you know the profit and loss looking at revenue and looking at expenses and and sort of planning that out but in order to really Anticipate what your cash flow is going to be. You have to look at the balance sheet as well. And most business owners aren't quite as well versed in you know just what is on the balance sheet because there are a lot of you know I, I, people come to me and they 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 bring me their PL and they say okay I made hundred thousand dollars this year but I don't have hundred thousand dollars. And I'm I'm like well let's look at your balance sheet and you know invariably there's you know a bunch of debt service so. There are loans that have to be paid. Well, that's part of your cash flow. So you have to sort of combine the two in order to come up with a forecast of your cash. And that that's the component that most people miss. When they are looking at their cash, they see what their expenses are and they see what their revenue is. And they're like, okay, I'm going to have enough cash. But if but the other expenses that they have that don't hit the P&L, that's where they run into some problems.
0: So So if I'm a business owner and I want to, be a little bit wiser? Is there one or two key things that you just see everybody's totally missing on the balance sheet or maybe some key considerations there?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing, and it's really kind of surprising to me, is the lack of attention that is paid to your receivables. Mm. Uh, I know uh, you know, business owners are busy and their people are busy. And so one of the things that um, small business, business owners seem to hate to do is to to devote a person to collecting receivables. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, unless you have somebody working the phone and, you know, calling customers, their payments, they're, they they always pay the people who are, you know, calling them, you know, the, the sure. squeaky wheel. Yeah. And so, and so one of the things that I see is that that's kind of the last thing that people get to in the accounting department, you know, I've got to pay cash, I've got to pay bills, and then if I have time left over, I'll make a couple of calls. Right. And I, to me, that that is kind of backward because a great way to improve your cash flow is to, uh, is to work your receivables <laughs> and get that money in here.
0: Yeah, actually collect the money that's owed to you. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's funny because there have definitely been times in my career where cruising along when things are good, I don't make those calls. And then things tighten up and you make all those phone calls and all this money <laughs> comes in. And you're thinking, why don't I do this all the time? And then you get busy building the business, right? Looking at the top mm-hmm. line and, and marketing and all that other stuff. Um, so y- you make a really great point And it sounds to me like that's one of those systems or you need a person there, right? Really for mm-hmm. that specific thing. Um, so this is a this is a great question. Something that I have personally, and maybe you can tell me what you've seen. How do we know, you know, you don't necessarily want to take on a bunch of overhead and hire a person for something like that. Maybe that's someone mm-hmm. who's already doing a certain job. Do you have uh, any metrics? And I don't know if you do or don't, but this is just a personal question. Um, how do you know when to hire more people versus trying to get more efficient with who you have? Do you have a, a way that you can kind of gauge that?
1: Yeah. So what I do with, with all of my clients is, is we look at benchmark industry benchmarks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know anything from you know what your what are your gross margins running is that within industry benchmarks and one of the benchmarks that a lot of us look at is revenue or profit per employee mm-hmm. and that's a good way to kind of gauge if you um you have room to to hire somebody else is to look at your revenue per employee and if it's much higher than than most companies in your industry then you probably have a little bit of room to to bring somebody additional in. Uh, and then a, another good one is profit per employee, because obviously if if your profits um, don't allow it, then um, then it's it's really hard and you probably have to you know split somebody's job into maybe cash application or um, payables and then receivable collections, whatever. Yeah, but usually I I do use those metrics quite often.
0: Okay, good. Well, I, I appreciate that because I'm always looking at like, you know, do I hire another person? Am I the place where that's really going to make sense yet? And and trying to balance that uh, that growth with cash flow, right? Um, right. And and running lean and efficient, but still not going too too far because I think when you get too lean and efficient, you things fall through the cracks, and then it gets Messy. So there's, there's a trade-off there.
1: Yeah, that's true. And, and industry benchmarks are such a good way to, because you're not reinventing the wheel and, Mm -hmm. you know, you've, you've got, uh, if, if they're, if the, uh, if the place that you're getting your benchmarks uh, is using a a big enough, you know, group of, of uh, people who are sharing their numbers then you can get a very good idea of where you should be on, on all those metrics. And, and so that's a good place to
0: start. Yeah. It was interesting. I was at a conference this weekend. It was uh, for, for dentists and they had all these industry benchmarks up, right. Or these metrics that they'd come up with. And, and the difference between a person being plus or minus one or 2% made a, you know, in each of these different areas, over 10 different areas, was dramatic when you're running $2 million through a dental practice. If you're 2% over your expenses there, that could be $40,000, right? Away from the bottom line. Uh, sure. And it's really easy to be like, ah, you know, we're pretty close. We're within 2%. You wouldn't think that's way off. But when you start to extrapolate that out over a lot of dollars, it, it really becomes a big deal. So I think awareness of those metrics is absolutely vital. and And I think a lot of people don't have them. And I'm assuming that's why you're a CFO uh, and for many companies because a lot of companies can't afford a full-time CFO, but they could certainly benefit from what <clears throat> one brings to the table. So tell me a little bit about like, how have you been able to kind of carve out a niche as a CFO? Cause it's one thing to, to work as a CFO. It's another thing to go out mm-hmm. and find people who believe that you can be their person part-time.
1: Well, it's interesting because my, my, pra- my practice has uh, my, <laughs> Company has kind of evolved over about five years ago. I I left my CFO job and went with a, a nationwide partnership of um, C, fractional CFOs uh, CFO services firm. Mm-hmm. And so I I was one of 250 partners in this firm. And one of the things that we we tried to to attract were, were larger privately held companies, sort of Mm -hmm. between the 10 to 25 million, 30 million, you know, they
0: Mm
1: kind of large, but not, not to the point where they could hire a full-time CFO. And so then I started looking at these smaller, less than $10 million companies that that were, there were a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And about a year ago, you know, February of last year, right before the pandemic, (laughs) <laughs> um, I decided to go out on my own because I had been working with um, the Virginia uh, SBA. Um, to they have a class that they give to small business owners, and it's uh, called Scaling for Growth, and it it helps them sort of all the aspects of of a, running a business. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a and they do what they call cohorts every six month they bring in a, a new class. Well, I, I have been helping teach the financial statements part of that. I, I volunteer mm-hmm. my time to do that. and I found a lot of and most of these small business owners are in the you know 500,000 to you know 10 million dollar range. and I found that they there's a real need in that group. Mm -hmm. And so I have sort of focused, brought my focus more towards smaller, smaller companies simply because I think they need me more. (laughs) They certainly appreciate me more. And so um, so I have now I've taken on a lot more clients, but, you know, but for smaller chunks of time. And so um, my customer concentration is much better than it used to be. So um, but it, uh, to me, I think that that is a real niche. And, and even though I started my business or went out on my own uh, right before the pandemic, I really there were a lot of people who found me simply because during the pandemic, there became a real need to, you know, to do better cash management. Sure. And so I I was able to to help a lot of people hopefully get through that and so um, th- that's kind of where my my business has gone and I love it I I'm just I'm I'm just enjoying so much working with these these groups of small business owners.
0: Yeah, well I know being a small business owner, you know, we uh, we really appreciate good professional help and you know, when you're working directly with the business owner, I think it's different than when you're working with the guy who sits under, you know, a guy who sits under a guy who sits under the Mm -hmm. owner, right? There's a big, there's so much more ability to impact things when it's my business and we can really sit down and figure things out and make changes right now. I know the Mm -hmm. word nimble gets thrown out there, but certainly a lot more nimble. And during, (laughs) during this past year, being able to, you know, maneuver has been, I won't say the word pivot, been overused, but being able to, (laughs) yeah, being able to maneuver within the changes that are going on government Mm -hmm. stimulus and all kinds of regulations and all the changes and shutdowns and, you know, all of that has been really, really pressed upon the business owner to figure it out on the fly. So I'm sure, you know, having someone like yourself to be able to help navigate that would be incredibly valuable. So, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about several of the aspects of your business. I know you mentioned that you also do a radio show. Tell me a little mm-hmm. about that. What is that?
1: Yeah, um, about a year ago, I was approached by, there's a, a gentleman here in town uh, in Richmond, Virginia, who uh, who has started this international business growth radio network. And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a worldwide network. It's online and it's called um, uh, IBGR for, for short. But uh, through through a, a a friend of mine, um, I was introduced to him, and he wanted he needed CFOs to do because they have different d- different topics. Like they do finance, they do HR towards small business owners, and so uh, he came to me and he asked me if you know I'm, I was interested in doing a show. And that had the topic of exit strategies. So I do uh, a show every Tuesday at three three p.m. Eastern Time, and the topics are strictly exit strategies and you know what to do, how to build value, and so I, like I said, I've been doing it for about a year, and each of my shows has turned into a pod four podcast because it's an hour long show, so four 15 minute podcasts. So it's been a lot of, uh, it's been a great opportunity to get a lot of content out there
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: people can access at any time. That's what I love about podcasts because, you know, people can, you know, listen to them in the, when they want to mm-hmm. in the car or, you know, while they're working. And so it's, it's been, uh, it, it's been a great way to, like I said, get my message out in, in a, uh, in a way that you know, a lot of people can, can access it.
0: Yeah. I saw on your website that you, you have the podcast there. Why don't you tell people your, your website URL where they can go <laughs> so that if they haven't seen all the shows or they can't make Tuesday at three o'clock Eastern uh, where they can hear that.
1: Sure. It's Services dot com. Yes. And, and the uh, podcast is, on just one of the tabs on the, on the website.
0: Very good. Yeah. I saw that. I uh, didn't have a chance to go through too many of those, but I did see that there's kind of like four segments per per thing. And I wasn't sure what that, mm-hmm. how that worked. And now I know, so that's very <laughs> cool. Um, so Ellen, I, I really appreciate you taking some time to be here with mm-hmm. us before we wrap up. I always like to give guests 30, 60, 90 seconds to say anything you want to say, even if it's related to what we're talking about or not. I just think it's important to give people a voice to kind of put out there anything they think would be valuable to the listeners or that they they want to put out there. So what would you say?
1: So, you know, I one of the things that I do on my po- podcast, the first section of my podcast, is I I look at things going on in the news for small business owners for business owners in general. And you know, you're, you're in today's environment, in today's climate, uh, it, it's, I think it's just so important to really learn to learn about your finances of your company, learn how to read your financial statements. And even today, more than ever, because we're just not sure what is going to happen with interest rates. We're not going to sh- sure what's going to happen with tax rates. So, I think that we need to continue I think last year everybody learned to be, to run kind of lean and and really mm-hmm. look at their businesses. I think that needs to continue because i, I there's too much uncertainty in the in the future not to leave on a negative note, but I no. am more than ever keeping my eyes on the pulse of of things because you know uh, especially with interest rates, I just don't know what's going to happen with
0: those. yeah. <laughs> I I think you're absolutely right. Right now we've had such a, you know, a black swan event, a one-time event that the government's had to step in sort of the free market has been, I'll call it smokescreen. We're not really sure what's actually happening in the market right now because of all that cash influx. And obviously we've got some taxation changes coming and jobs coming back and businesses reopening. And I don't think anybody really knows what, uh, what that looks like, right? It's kind of like someone took a jackhammer to the economy and all the dust is still settling. And That's right. uh, and we just don't know. So I, I agree with you that being as as prepared as we possibly can for whatever the next one, two, three years, because I do think it's going to take more than a year to shake out for us to really see what what has happened, how many businesses have just been supported by this this government payout how many people will go back to work after unemployment ends? What is going to happen with real estate when they change this moratorium on rentals and people being behind on mortgages? Is that going to be a huge problem? Is that going to be the release valve so that real estate isn't so darn expensive? All the supply chains hopefully coming back so lumber doesn't just look like it's cryptocurrency in the way that it goes up. Uh, It's
1: crazy. It really
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm building a house right now and it's it's been pretty interesting. We were like, maybe we should finish the basement. And then we thought about it for about three minutes and we thought, but not right now, <laughs> right? Like, cause the cost of the lumber is insane.
1: The lumber is unbelievable. I and mean, I, I do have clients that are in construction. I have, um, and not only the, the supplies, but the, the labor, mm-hmm. I can't find people to work. Yeah. So it's crazy.
0: Yeah. I have friends who are trying to do little home projects and like trying to get someone to come out and do your house, like a little bathroom repair or something is like nearly impossible because Mm -hmm. why would they do it unless they can just make an arm and a leg. And so it's, it's a real interesting little world right now. And uh, like you said, there's just a lot of uncertainty. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I appreciate you shining the spotlight on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this, this was a real pleasure, Ellen. Uh, Obviously you have a ton more wisdom to, to share with people. So if people want to check out the podcast, the book, everything else, where's the best place for them to find and connect with you, get more of your content, engage with you if they're interested in possibly looking at working together.
1: So on my website, there, um, there is a place to schedule a call for me. I, I do a, uh, I do a, a complimentary look at financial statements to give you know, my view on, on how you're doing and would love to uh, to work with anybody, but you, you can schedule an appointment with me on my website or my um, my email address is ellen at CFO plus services.com.
0: Well, fantastic. So if you're out there listening and and you need some guidance in these areas, Ellen might be the person. So I would definitely say, especially if you're looking at an exit in the near future, you You probably need somebody who knows about that, so you're not one of those woefully underprepared people when it comes <laughs> time to make that sale and And don't That's wait right. till the last month. You know, let's let's do that a couple of years in advance. anyway, Ellen, I, I really appreciate you being here on the show with us, and I just thank you for your time.
1: well, thanks, Derek. i I enjoyed our time together.
0: Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag Small Life so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers. To help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.